all where now again? The global gales, the Irish all over the world, the first generation, the second generation, all the generations of the O's and the Max from Galway and Dublin and Donegal and Cork and Antrim and everywhere. You're very welcome once again to this, what is the third episode of the Global Gale podcast. And lads, with this many podcasts going on now, I had a friend in England a few years ago, and uh, when he had a second child, he said, I now know the difference between owning a pet and having a zoo. And that's kind of how it feels now with two or three or four podcasts that I'm involved in, you know, so... The first one was grand, the Arrow Man in Stockholm one about media and that kind of thing. That comes out. That's what the feed that you'll find these podcasts on is called because that's where it started off. And then there was the Premier Swedes, one about the Swedes who played in the Premier League because I live in Stockholm. And then the Irish in Sweden kicked off and that really rammed things up now because that comes out every week of a Monday. And then the Global Gale kicked off and holy mother, it's gone bananas altogether. So uh, it's keep me busy, but it's always good to be busy. I w- I'd love to say it's keep me out of trouble, but it's probably causing more trouble or I'm causing more trouble than I ever did. That's another email coming in there now telling me that there's something that I should be doing. So we'll just mute that for the time being. I hope you're well wherever you are in the world. Uh, it's been a fairly manic week. Uh, there's loads of sort of community news popping up and people starting to tell me things. One of the things I spotted this week right, was the fact that um, there's been a new deal for the GAA. right? So if you're interested in Gaelic games at all, uh, they've done a new deal now. A few years ago, they did a deal with Sky. So they were going to broadcast uh, games to our friends there in the United Kingdom. And there was a few games a year there, 31 games live on RT. And then they had Sky in there. And then they brought in a thing for those of us abroad called GAA Go. Now, wasn't a fan, lads, right? Wasn't a fan of any of this. In fact, I'm on the record as describing it as a tax on the Irish abroad, right? Because I'm sure many people listening to this will have been involved in their local club. It could be in Wellington. I see, actually, there's a club started up in Reykjavik in Iceland now. So that'd be fascinating to get them on at some point. But they were looking for, you know, 100 and something euro or something per year, right? Now... I'm like I'm very interested in Gaelic games. Love football, love hurling, but I'm really more interested in Dublin than anything else. And the way I work in that, I don't really have the time to watch all the games they have on GAA go. So essentially, you're paying like you know over a hundred quid for it. Now, in fairness, Dublin play a lot of games in the championship because we tend to win it every year in the football lads, you know. So you're getting value for money on that front. But yeah, no, it didn't strike me as being the greatest business model in the world. And this idea of bringing in Sky, I always saw it as a thing for Sky to sort of market satellite dishes in the UK. So I wasn't too happy. But that's going to be the format now going forward or are going to continue to have their 21 live games so if you have a tv solution if you have a satellite dish down below in australia whatever you'll still get those games but the rest uh, will be in some indescribable manner on gaa go in ireland and abroad now i really hope that the fact that it's um going to be available on the domestic market that's where most of the eyeballs of course are going to be despite the amount of us abroad who enjoy gaelic games uh, so they're going to have to sort of book up their ideas because the platform wasn't great I believe it was based on the RTE player which anybody who's watched it will tell you will drive you bananas sometimes when you're trying to watch it no problem delivering the ads but delivering the content always a little bit more difficult yeah so that was the big thing that caught my interest during the week we would hope for uh, for good things for Gaelic games going forward and it really is something that's worth looking at I mean I consider this podcast as kind of a little bit like that as well a contribution to that you know addressing the things that people uh, want to hear and want to see abroad you know there's no, no global website. There's a few great old Facebook pages down there in Australia. I think it's one person running local uh, pages for all these different places. So it would be good if we had somewhere together. But enough of that. He mentions Australia and he mentions Wellington and New Zealand. That's because on this episode of the Global Gale podcast, we're going to take a bit of a trip down under. In a little while, we'll be talking to a man from Ballymun who is now at a point on the other side of the globe, on New Zealand's South Island, where he actually couldn't be any further from Dublin, right? You can't can't go anywhere else in this world that is further from Ballymun than Invercargill. And Leon Hartnell is going to be joining us a little bit later on to tell us about his life down there. And in the beginning when I said people had extraordinary stories, Leon is one of them. It's just, it's amazing how we wound up in this place so far from Dublin, so far from Ireland. But it's also amazing to hear what he has done for his new community down there. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to you. But before we do that, on one of the aforementioned Facebook pages, uh, I just happened to drift by a story there about two Irishmen, right? Jamie Clear and Joe McManus. And why did I want to tell you their story? Well, it's like this, lads. They went off and they built a curragh. 
a little bit north of Sydney, I think it is. And then they took it down, and so didn't they paddle it under the Harbour Bridge? Now, <laughs> records may be a little bit patchy in places, but it is believed to be the first time that anybody has sailed the Curragh under the iconic Harbour Bridge there in Sydney. So I said this week I'd concentrate on our friends down under, and my geez, there's plenty of us, so uh, I thought we'd tell a few of those stories. So I called up Joe there the other morning. It was very late at night here in Central Europe, but it was early in the morning, and you'd be able to hear the birds singing in his back garden there a little bit north of Sydney. And this is his story of how he and his friend Jamie built that curragh and took it out of the waters there and sailed it under the Harbour Bridge in Sydney. I am sailing I am sailing Home again Across the sea I am sailing Stormy waters To be near you To be free Joe, how did you come to build a curragh in Sydney, Australia, of all places? Well, myself and Jamie, we're two hours north of Sydney, um, but we go out on the Hunter River here um, paddleboarding. So we were out on the river one day and um, we'd gone a good distance. And uh, I said to Jamie, it looks a bit Irish. Sometimes, you know, you're on the river. Sometimes it looks like you're in Ireland, sometimes. And I said, wouldn't it be mad if, if four lads in a curragh came pelting around the corner there? like?" And uh, he said, um, Jesus, why don't we build one? Because he's he's built a canoe before and he's a very, he's a very uh, he's a really good engineer and I'm insane. So the two came together and we decided we'd have a go. And like it says, it says that you, an experienced person can build a curragh in three days if you know what you're doing. Like well, it took us eight months, but we weren't at it all day every day. But anyway, we built the damn thing and had a go. How do you go about building it? How do you go about finding out how to build it? Well, there's no uh, set plans. Jamie went over to um, the, the Scaries Curragh Race or Festival. Um, I think it's called the Three Islands Festival there. He went over there a couple of months ago. And he sent back heaps of photographs of Curraghs. And no two were the same. But there is a basic kind of principle. And uh, Jamie did find plans online. There was a bunch of lads uh, in uh, Kenmare, I think, that built one. And they had put up their, their plans. So we, we just cross-referenced a whole lot of stuff we found online and had a go. And had a go and that's what's behind us there. How long did it take you? You said it took eight months in total. I think it was about eight, eight or six months. Yeah. Somewhere between that. Because it was all, like, there was a lot of pandemic stuff going on at the same time. And, you know, we all had lives as well. But they're not hugely complicated. Like um, they're a fantastic-looking instrument, but they're not hugely complicated to build. It's basically well, a basket covered in canvas, is what it is. Where do you go? Do you just, you know, do you go down to your local DIY store and start yep. uh, getting the stuff, or where do you have to go? To? Exactly where we went. We went down there and got a bunch of lats, and I started steaming them in my shed over there, and we just had a go and made a lot of mistakes and fell out a couple of times and. Anyway, we got there in the end. Was that murder between the two of you? It was. A little bit of tension at certain points, yeah. There was chisels drawn. We're all right now. With the help of therapy, how does that, uh, saved the relationship. How does that dynamic work between yourself and Jamie? Would you be the fellow, you know, to be sort of bulling ahead and getting things done and just find the solution? Or would you like to be sort of, you know, the, the perfectionist? No, I'll tell you how it works. Jamie is an engineer and he's a mad inventor and a very skilled He's he's the real scientist in the in the family here, and I'm I'm more creative. I'm the more creative. Fuck it, it'll do kind of person. You know what I mean? Uh, and so it's when the perfectionist meets the artist, that's when the tension starts. <laughs> but uh, that's often where the great creations come out of. Because your background, if I if I'm not mistaken, is that in music? There, you play music down in Australia. Yeah, I'm a musician here. Yeah. And uh, how does that go for you? Is it like, is there a living to be made in music there, or is it like everywhere else where you just have to take everything that's coming? No, I well, I work solo, so it's very easy to get paid. And um, I was a I was a professional musician, like never did anything else up until the pandemic, and then I had to go doing something else for a while. But um, I'm back now. Mm. I I tell you, a big part of the music business, as you can see, is uh, with me. It's it's being good looking really helps. 
Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a handsome little devil, all right. They wouldn't have my looks, do you know what I mean? <laughs> no, no, your talent for building currents and that kind of thing. Um, you decided that you were going to not just build the currick, but you were going to sail it under the Harbour Bridge there in Sydney. Why did you pick that location? Well, it's iconic. And, and it was the... It was our second mad. The first mad conversation was we'll build a curric. The second mad conversation was over a few beers. What could we do with it? Like, because, <clears throat> you know, the drunker you get, like we were talking about putting wings on it and launching it off the bloody harbor. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's things you think of like might be a good idea on the day. Actually, that idea still could be done. You know what I mean? You could put wings on a curric. <laughs> Bat wings, like big bloody. I say somewhere Jamie is crying in his beer at the moment. Yeah, the thoughts that's of that's you doing that, time, you know? <laughs> And <laughs> um, what did people around you like? Was there anybody there when you were putting the curragh in the water and heading off or under the harbour oh, bridge? There, did people look at you? Yeah, we had a heap of people from the Irish community here, and and to be honest, the the amount the, the level of warmth that we got from the Irish community was just lovely to see because it was a little piece of home, you know, kind of manifest here. And the, the local lake here is they call it the the natives call it a, a, a wava is the lake, but um. When we were launching it there, we had a there's a traditional blessing that you can have. So we had that, and a friend of ours, Martin McGear, spoke a few words in Irish. And for for want of any respect of a priest, he said a few words and blessed it. And, and um, everybody had a go on it that day. Like it was about six couples of people went out and had a row for themselves. And so it's it's like um like there's no there's no other way of looking at it. We're foreigners here, like and. Uh, when we get together, it's lovely because there's a bunch of lights that don't come on in your dashboard until you're with Irish people. Like. Mm. And then the crack is on. And so for them to actually have a curragh, it was something iconic and it really worked for people. Mm. I usually describe myself as the only Irishman who's never been to Australia. Uh, is there not like a lot of Irish people around the place down there in Coogee Bay and places like that in Sydney? Oh, Sydney is full of them. Yeah, not so many up this way. Like there, there's a few hundred like, but. Uh, Hmm. And you know yourself, like just you know the way some people would say, "Oh, I have a friend he's Irish, I should meet him." And you're thinking in your head, "Yeah, he's probably a cop." I don't want to meet him. <laughs> it, it can happen on occasion. It doesn't matter where you go in the world; you might get that. You know. But would you have a lot of contact with the Irish community through the music that you play, or is that strictly sort of in Australian bars and that? I'm in Australian bars, but I play Irish music. Like I blend it at any gig. So there's a thing. That it's very very easy to pick an Irish person in an audience, and when I when I know the Irish are in, like I got an email there during the week from a group that come up from Sydney, and they come up once a year. So I got the email to say, look, we're coming next Sunday because I have this nine year residency at a place called the Grand Store in Newcastle. So I got this email to say we're coming next Sunday. So I know next Sunday now it's going to be full Irish breakfast for me. I have to go hard or go home. Um, but say if I don't see any Irish people, I, I won't put huge amount in i'll put a fair few in but not you know mm. depends on the audience and do you find that it's one of the things because i played a bit of music where i live in sweden when i came over here and i kind of thought that yeah great i get to play some of the music and bring some of that music to the people but they're drinking they don't want to hear me playing songs they've never heard before they want to hear country roads and that kind of thing does that not drive you up the wall joe that does drive me up the wall and, and it is and you know uh, when I moved to Australia, I thought I'd gone a long way away from home and I was looking forward to different gigs. And, and I remember getting this really good gig down on the harbour and I set up on the stage and there was all these beautiful Australian tan people. And I thought, here we go. A new beginning. Joe McManus starts fresh. And I played two songs and next thing, two drunk women came up and they said, do you know how to play the gambler? And I'm like, all right, here we go again. And it, it's the same world over. It's country rules, the gambler, Alice, um, Friends in low places. I mean, that's just that culture. But um, there's, it's a context too. Like, but if you are in a pub and people are on the piss, that's what they want. But if you're, you can do cultural events and set up your own gigs. If you invite people in to see an Irish event, they'll come and do that too. It's a different set of people, though. Yeah. Sorry, I was just feeding back a little bit there. Um, what is it you enjoy most about the music? Do you write your own stuff as well? And do you like to put out your own stuff on Spotify and what have you? Yes, I do. I have. I was uh, very stubborn there for a while and I only had my gear on Bandcamp. And now I'm switching it over to Spotify so it'll be available soon. But I'm recording a new album around this Curragh launch as well. That'll be available soon. Okay, so a concept album about a Curragh is what we're waiting for, is it? Eh, uh, it wouldn't be that. 
tight on it. But yeah, it'd be very Irish though. It's just all my Irish songs and tunes. Yeah. And in terms of the Irish community over there, would you have, now I know you're a couple of hours north of Sydney, would you often wander into Sydney if there was an event going on or that kind of thing, or do you keep to yourselves? Uh, personally, I, I'm usually gigging. So if there's an event on, I'm usually gigging somewhere else. So, but up mm. here, we like Paddy's Day is huge as it is everywhere. And um, we have Irish, we have an Irish community here and um, some very active people in the community. And, you know, we get together and pretend we're at home. Of course, uh, just a few days ago there, we had uh, the World Cup draw. So half of Ireland is going to be down there to see the women playing in the World Cup next year against Australia and Nigeria and that kind of thing. And um, what, what kind of country is to travel around for those people who've never been there? Because there's like there's a big distance between Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Darwin, these cities. They're not exactly sort of, you know, down the road from one another, are they? Oh, my God, no. And once you realise how far places are, the best thing is <laughs> any advice to anybody coming over is fly everywhere. <clears throat> There'll be plenty of people saying, Asher, we'll rent a car and we'll drive across Australia. Might as well do driving across the moon. It's huge. Yeah. And how far away would the likes of Paris be from where you are now? You know, it would be several days of a drive. I'll tell you now exactly. If you give me half a second. So I'd never know these. So Madden to Google knows who he is. Yeah, yeah, hang on. I'll actually look up maps as well, just to be more annoying. Than like your <laughs> grandfather now. It's like watching your granny on Skype. <laughs> it's one day and eighteen hours if I drive. 42 hour drive from here to Perth and that's that's very east to very west how many kilometers would that be now or miles or whatever that's 3,900 kilometers by car I don't know what it is walking yeah no no we'll we'll take the flight instead there you know so. <laughs> that's the thing um, no I was, I was going to ask you what are the plans now for the Curragh you've been under the Harbour Bridge once is that from stopping you doing it again is there well we'd have to do it we have to do it off. Like I'm thinking, it's easy enough. We can stop a lorry on the Harbour Bridge. We can actually get it over the edge of the bridge, and just jump in and go. Because that's a bit more visually. You know what I mean? We might get a few photographers interested in that too. Was there no huge media interest when you did this trip the last time? No, no one gave a damn. We got in touch with the Irish Post here in Sydney, and not and not a flick of an interest. I'll tell you who was very uh, supportive was the local paper here in Newcastle, the Newcastle Herald. There's a woman called Helen Gregory, who's Irish, her dad's Irish, and uh, she follows up anything the Irish community does here. They were great. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you what, there's another group. Um, there's online stuff, like the Irish in Australia and the Irish Facebook pages. They, they yeah. all congratulated yeah. us. Yeah, that's honest, where we found you there. Two days after we did this, I can't remember your man's name, and he just managed to roll from America to Ireland, like, so like it's very important. Like, this is a bit of crack. What that guy did, he's a bit of a hero. Like uh, we were having that's crazy. He he rolled across the Atlantic, did he? He did, yeah, yeah. I don't don't even know if he had a boat. I think he just had two oars and a bloody pair of Wellingtons or something. I, I just set off there. Yeah. Man, you know what I mean? Built like. <laughs> and is there any plans to put the the boat in exhibition somewhere, or you know, have you haven't done it once now? Is it the kind of thing where you go, oh, let's let's do another one, but let's make it better? The Curragh, make a better Curragh. Yeah. Jesus, I'd say, Jamie, we could have a go at that. What we're trying to do, actually, be interesting to mention this, is that we've had a few, we've had one lad online saying he built a Curragh, but he he dismantled it. But if we can get someone locally to build another one, we can have races. That now would be the thing. And, of course, you can get a, a bit of odds off Paddy Power and that kind of thing, and that oh, could set the whole Jesus. lot up there. Can you imagine the crack? <laughs> Brilliant. Joe, it looks like a fine... I, I, I'm looking at it here. Some people will be listening to this in the podcast now, and I'm looking at it, and it looks bona fide, you know, from Salt Hill or from Spiddle in Galway, that you could go sailing out to the Aran Islands and that thing. Would you ever be tempted to try it? Oh, well, we'd have to get it over there first, I suppose. Once we were at, once we were in uh, Sydney Harbour, though, it was tempting to just turn it for the open sea and see how far we'd get before the guards got it. Actually, I was going to ask you that. What's what's the water like there? Is it very calm? Is it very easy to, to row the curric in that water? Well, the morning we went down uh, was a bank holiday and there was nobody on the harbour. Um, we got mm. some advice from a local kayak lad and he said, um, as long as you stay 100 metres from the ferries, the ferries are savages, they would tear you a new one. Like. So, yeah. but it was, oh, it was an amazing day when we went out calm and um, we didn't even see a ferry, so... Yeah, the, the old big old swells from the 30s who kind of do it for you right enough, you know? 
Yeah. And are you are you near the sea there, or is there only a lake nearby where you are there in Newcastle? No, I'm 40 minutes from the sea here. Newcastle is is right on the sea. I'm a little inland from that, but yeah, sea is sea is very close. You'd never be tempted to grab Jamie and head down there and see what you might find in the Pacific, no? God, Jesus, he's talk he's talking about hitting for um, Tasmania. Uh, he's also talking about hitting for New Zealand. I, you know, we definitely have to get into training for that one, I think, and start making sandwiches. Well, if you truly get turned the El Corrick now, that'd be a hell of a tour to document, wouldn't it? Well, it would. You see, it sounds like a lot of hard work to me now. <laughs> exactly. It's bad enough having to do the gigs and sing the gambler as you go, you know. Listen, Joe, thanks so much for talking to me. It's a fascinating thing. And do keep in touch. And if you're doing anything like going to Tasmania or New Zealand, make this your first port of call, if you will. But for now, have a great day there and listen to the birds singing a little bit north of Sydney. Thanks so much indeed. You're a legend. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Come sail your ships around me And burn your bridges down We make a little history, baby Every time you come around there you go, a little snippet there of Neil Finn from Crowded House, of course, from New Zealand, but uh, very much considered a bit of an Australian band there, singing the ship song, which was written by Nick Cave. And before that little uh, story there from Joe, you would have heard Rod Stewart singing a little bit of sailing there. Has there ever been a man who sung in anything so far from his own accent? as Mr. Rod Stewart from Scotland. There you go. Another man far from home is Leon Hartner. We're going to hear from him in a second. But a couple of things first, right? Please support the podcast. It's a listener-supported podcast. There's no sponsors just yet. I'm waiting out there for all ye millionaires on the East Coast or the West Coast or wherever you happen to be. Anybody wants to bequeath me their fortune, like I say, the bank account is open. Just fire it over here. My people will talk to your people. We'll do the deals. Other than that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash our man in Stockholm. you get all the podcast on the Arrow Man in Stockholm uh, platform. You never know, I might even start writing a few bits and pieces again if you can put up with reading them. But uh, at the moment, there's three or four different podcasts appearing there. I'll be firing stuff out to beat the band, especially under or during the World Cup there. So, um, do that if you can. And please do keep getting in touch, right? The stories you're hearing now, I had no idea I was going to be telling you them before this podcast launched, right? I had no idea because I didn't know who these people were. And this is the whole idea. It's a brilliant thing that you're getting in touch with me and say, talk to this person or I have a story or I built a curragh or I'm living as far as I possibly could be from Dublin. And I want to bring these to, to people because if the listener figures are anything to, to go by, this is what people want to hear. One of those people who got in touch um, as I said the, the good people in New Zealand thanks to Colin McGrath who we went to school with has been or didn't go to school with Colin but I hung around with him when I was younger in Dublin and he's living down there now and doing fantastic things in New Zealand but he put the word around and he's always very supportive of the podcast sharing it in the various different New Zealand groups there and Leon Hartnett got in touch with me and just fascinating character and everything about him, you know, when you go look and check in his social media and that kind of thing and all the different things that he's up to in his community there. But you know what? I'm not the man to tell you about that, lads. Leon Hartnett is. And here he is. You've just described our current hometown, Invercargill, which I believe is the furthest city from Dublin in the world, right? So how yes, did a man from, from Ballymun end up there, of all places? Um, let's see, it was it was in uh, slow steps. Um, in that I did, you know, the usual backpacker thing around Europe as you do when you're like, you know, twenties, and then, uh, then I suppose neighbours meant that I had to go to Australia like everybody else did, you know. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I did the Australia thing in around 2000, a couple of years there. Um, yeah, mostly Sydney and backpacking, great. And I ended up working for a Kiwi company um, in Sydney, and they were like, oh, you need, to go to, you need to go to New Zealand. And I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to go to New Zealand, but I didn't just want to add it onto my backpacker thing the way, you know, like everybody comes over, does Australia, and then they travel two weeks in to cover all of New Zealand. And I'm like, hey, it's a it's like a full country, you know. I need to I need to actually <laughs> give this a proper crack. So I went back to Dublin um 
you know, had some like study and stuff to finish and finished that. And about three years later, came out, out here, um, 7th of September, Momentous Day. I, I always say it's a Momentous Day because it's actually my friends were winding me up that it's my it's one of my best friends birthday in Dublin and it's my niece's birthday and I left like two days before and they were like you were leaving to a voyage you know buying them a birthday present and then I get here right and then about two months later I meet my wife guess her birthday 7th of September there you go so you've been on the yeah. run for buying her birthday presents ever since have you no 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 I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here <laughs> there's no escape uh no and I love being here so um yeah, so we moved to Sydney. Uh, no, I moved to Auckland, as I say, in 2004. Um, had a one-year visa, got a job, got residency, as things can happen. Met my wife very, very quickly after I got here, and there was always, there was there was the challenge there, like, I'm not after you for residency, you know? I'm actually, you know, it's a relationship, but the, the residency came through, and uh then you know we got married and we two kids and um in Auckland and Auckland like a lot of big centers has has loads of great things but also has property prices that are ridiculous ridiculous you know mm. like yeah like forget buying a house unless you're like a yeah I don't know Robert Bank and that's kind of illegal it's actually completely illegal I, I believe it's uh, quite frowned upon in New Zealand all right yeah yeah it is they, they don't really they don't take to it very well at all um <laughs> Well, come here to me. Auckland is on the North Island there. Now, I know as what I know hmm. about New Zealand could be written on the back of a stamp with a spray can, right? Yeah, Auckland's yeah, yeah. on the North Island, and now you're down in the very south of the South yeah. Island. Is yeah. there a big difference between those places, Leon? Oh, there, there is. Um, it actually does hit, It does feel like a different country. And so, like, I'll, I'll kind of quickly jump on to how we got down here. So I was up in yeah. Auckland, right? And then, um, you know, house prices and saying. My wife is a pharmacist, and basically, no, everybody, everybody who trains is a pharmacist, and they all train up in Auckland. They all want to, um, you know, they they don't want to go back to small towns. So you had basically loads of really qualified people walking up in Auckland for like almost minimum wage, right? And the rest, all all around the rest of the country, there's people crying. You know, there's 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 centres crying out for staff. You know. Because like people think, oh, Invercargill, it's, it's the end of the earth. So we came down here and, um, you know, tried it for a month. And then we came down the day after the Christchurch earthquake. And that was 11 years ago. And I've never looked back. And it's amazing because like Invercargill, I literally, when I got to New Zealand, I had no idea where Invercargill was. Mm. And to, to go back to your question, uh, uh, Philip, um, it is quite different. Like it, it, it was kind of a... Um, a Scottish, you know, like you could split New Zealand, you know, the settlement places, you know, like Christchurch and area was quite a, an English settled place. Mm. And if you go down to Otago and Southland down here, it was quite a Scottish settled place, you know. Um, so there's, 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 there is quite a strong Scottish heritage here. And I remember after I got down here one day, I was like, well, can I have bagpipes? I literally could have bagpipes, you know. Um, it's a small rural centre in that there's 52,000 people down here. Mm. Um, so it's it's definitely not as cosmopolitan as Auckland. And that leads to, leads to, it leads to some challenges, you know, like as it tries to adapt to immigration and, you know, like a need, the need, need for growth. Mm. It also leads to some real positives. Like when I got down here, you know, like I'm from Dublin and lived in Auckland. I could not get over that people knew me, like you know, like I, before I even started a job. Like when we got down here, I was a house dad, and people were like, "Oh, you're the Irish guy." I'm like, "What? Hello, what? you know?" Because <laughs> literally everybody is connected, you know. Yeah, and you were kind of the only <laughs> Irish guy who who was in the town at that stage, right? Yeah. Uh, no, there's there's a fair few. Um, there's not a lot of. I think it's fair to say there's not a lot of Irish born, but there's a, like there's an Irish society down here. Mm. Um, and so you get lots of people who are, let's say, second or third generation Irish. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people like that. Um, there's a number who are Irish born, not a lot. And then you get a lot of uh, pennies coming out here for, um, you know, like working in the agricultural sector. You know, yeah, yeah. they come out for a season. You know, mm. not so much. Um, 
Well, I suppose it's kind of stepping back up after COVID, but you know, you don't, you don't actually have groups of young lads coming out. So yeah. it's a, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting place. Um, I gotta say, I love it. Yeah. I feel totally embraced and this feels like home. Yeah. Now. Did you ever is... think it was going to feel like that, Liam? Because you go to a place like that, in the, literally the other side of the world. As we were saying in the beginning, you couldn't get further from Ballymore or from Dublin. Mm. And even though it's been settled by people who look like us and who speak the same language as us, it's still the other side of the world. Did you ever feel that, look, I'm going to put down roots here. This is going to be, this is going to be me. I'll be happy here. Uh, I, initially, yeah, I kind of struggled with it. Um, actually, the interesting thing is because it has, you know, it has that kind of like, a slightly kind of parish vibe to it, right? Mm. There was there was loads I recognised, and I grew up on the north side of Dublin City, and, you know, like, from where I grew up in Ballymun, if you looked over the fields there, like, to do, towards Dublin Airport, you'd see all these fields. Mm. And, like, when we first moved here, I was at the northern edges of Invercargill City, and I was looking at the fields, mm. and, like, they reminded me of home. So there was loads of things that I found were, like, really similar, but I'm like, oh, it is a bit remote, you know? Now... My wife, who is an Auckland lady, um, she quite enjoys kind of going to theatre and shows. And she used to go, you know, in Auckland, Sky City, a big kind of theatre venue. Um, and she found, I think she actually found it harder to adapt. Because it is a bit like, you know, the way Dubliners and people from the country in Ireland. Yeah. It's, the, you know, uh, they go like, whoa, he's from Dublin. Um, it, you can have the same thing between Auckland and the rest of the country. You know? yeah. So she found that. Um, so we'd almost be like, oh, we're the Irish family down here rather than the Auckland family. You know, that's that's probably a preferable thing to be, is instead of these Jackians coming in, that kind of thing. You know, exactly, exactly. As as far as I'm aware, you play a bit of Irish music down there as well, do you? No, I don't personally play any music. I'm completely talentless in that regard. <laughs> um, I I've been involved in um, yeah, I could talk a wee bit about. You know, and I, I don't think I've any incredible stories to tell about life down here, but then you never know what's what's an interesting story. No, no, just talk about um kind of how I found it settling in and how you know, like actually uh, my Irish identity I think has been a big part of how I've kind of settled in and made a connections in this community, mm. you know? Um so when I got down here, I actually did find it, you know, like because everybody knew each other, and it was a bit, it was a bit of a strange place to kind of settle in. It was kind of like you know the vibe when you go into a pub in Ireland and everybody looks around the chair. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, who's he? Oh, you know, look at the head of him. You know, <laughs> it was a little bit like that. Um, so I, I ended up getting involved in various things in the community because I actually felt like oh, I need to actually connect with people, and there wasn't the biggest Irish community here to kind of you know, find your common ground. So I got involved in a lot of community organizations and I ended up like involved in Rotary. I don't know if you, you know, Rotary is a yeah, yeah. organization. Yeah. And I ended up starting a Rotary club down here, which ended up being the youngest average age Rotary club in like the Southern Hemisphere or something like that, you know, mm. you know, which was really cool. And that got me into, um, you know, actually doing community product pro uh, projects and I'm like I actually enjoy connecting with people so we decided oh we're going to do a St. Patrick's Day festival down here mm. and you know like I, I spoke to loads of people and like ah people are not going to be into that and I'm like okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try this and so we had a you know and okay it's not massive numbers but we had a St. Patrick's Day festival there about three or four years ago um I was like I literally ran it on a budget of like 700 New Zealand dollars, like 300 euro or something like that. Jesus, you know? that's not and, much, and, yeah. Well, it was the, the point that because it's a small place and you actually know people and I know the musos and I have a mate who has a bouncy castle and I have somebody else who will give you a dig out with this. We ended up getting about 700 people trail. That's amazing. And In a like, tiny little pretty... community. Yeah, yeah. Like if you, I think if you, if you extrapolated that up for like you know a big urban center, you know, like for an Auckland with one point five million, we got we got a decent turnout, um, and that was great. And and from that, myself, my wife, we're like we really enjoy doing this sort of stuff. And we've ended up, um, we we ended up setting up a wee charity down here mm. to do community events. So we've 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 had our St Patrick's event about three or four times now. Um, 
we've ran TED Talks. I don't know if you ever like watched yeah, TED Talks. That was one of the things I spotted. That you, you know, you sort yeah. of you became the local representative for TED Talks and that kind of thing. How do you go about doing something like that? Is it just mail somebody and go, hey, I'm gonna nick your brand here uh, yeah. and go do things? Uh, no, yeah, TED are really clever. So they do TED X, right? X signifies an independently organized TED event, okay. right? So you contact them. And I think like, it's amazing, like Ted, Ted is a brand you see all over the world. And you think that they must have like, you know, 20,000 employees all over the world. They don't. They're really clever, right? They, they run, Ted itself run maybe two or three events a year and that's it. The rest of the things that are created at Ted Talks are under independence by independent groups who get a license to produce talks, right? So that's what we... Um, did so we've done that three years down here uh we actually did one during covid there which was you know kind of pretty insane and we couldn't even have like an audience we had all these people come down to do talks and we had like about 15 people in our crew um counting the speakers and, you know cam- or maybe 20 people in our crew and we did an audience of 10 people and you're like that's a bit weird but then you upload these to ted and i think last i saw that was TED Talks for Sleepy, sleepy Little Invercargill. I've been saying about 45, 50,000 times. That's amazing. Which is, the, you know, that's not bad, is it? That's well, incredible. We, yeah, yeah. If you actually, there was one by a, a wonderful Irish lady called Nick Russell um, who had been through, um, I don't know, it's a, a long story, but Google Nick Russell, Auckland, mm. a, a lady of incredible resilience um, who had been through so many challenges. Um, and it's still, uh, but it's just so, so many positive stories to tell. Um, so that was really great. Uh, we've done uh, events. I'm, I'm quite a, like a geek. So we've done free comic book days where we've given out comic books to children in the community and cosplay mm. and geekiness, which is something you don't normally find in a, a place like this. People think, oh, you have to be in the big open centers to get mm. all that, you know, kind of quirky stuff. And that's great. The library down here said the first year we did that. Um, they were like, oh, that's the busiest day we've ever had in the library, you know? It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's been really cool. We've done, we've done family galas. We, we, um, we run a, we organize a Christmas dinner for the community down here through a fundraising event we do. Um, and, yeah, it's it actually, and through that process, I've actually found... I feel very connected to the community down here. I just wonder, Leon, if you would have yeah. stayed in Auckland, right, do you think it would have been possible to do the things that you've done in Invercargill? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. It's it's like, literally, I've, I've run events, right? And I've been like, oh, now, you know, we small charity with limited money. And I'm like, I need somebody. I need somebody to fund me for a bouncy castle. I need somebody to pay for this clown or you know this thing. I've literally walked. I, you know, my my backup plan when I don't have anybody in mind is to walk around the centre of the town till I meet the person who'll do that. And invariably, it will happen pretty quickly. That's incredible. Oh, how are you? How are you, Mary? Oh, how's it going? Oh, I was just going to talk to you for a second. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's that's been great. We run a we charity. Uh, we run a charity down here. Um. That's led to a bit of a change in my life. I, I think I mentioned like I'm an accountant by profession. Yeah. Um, so I decided I actually couldn't keep working as an accountant because I just didn't feel like me anymore. You know, mm. the constant clocking of time and who are we going to charge? So um, I, I ended up, I, I don't know if you call it a midlife crisis. Or anything. <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of barely 40s. So I don't know what that happens. But uh, so I, I quit working as an accountant. I know, um, I run a volunteer program for people with intellectual disabilities, hmm. which I love doing. Like, you know, kind of like a big buddy program where you get somebody with, you get a volunteer and somebody with an intellectual disability and help them connect, become friends. Hmm. So that's like my day job, which is another thing I totally love doing. Um, along with that, myself and my wife, uh, we've, we've started up a wee business down here which um, is quite unique. It's that, like, you know, helping if somebody's family, you know, New Zealand's a pretty stretched out country, and, you know, especially, you know, people can live far away from home. Mm. Um, and it's like if somebody dies, 
And let's say the only dart is up in Auckland, but there's a house of things to sell and clean out and get ready for sale and things need to be shipped and this needs to go to this charity. So all that practical stuff. So that's really great. And that's another thing is that like people, I don't think I could do that in any other urban center too, because people would know me down here and would trust me, Mm. you know? Um, On top of that, I got appointed to a, in New Zealand, there's these organizations, they're kind of community funders, right? These, mm-hmm. these organizations have a big chunk of money in simple towns to distribute to the community. So I got appointed by uh, the Minister of Finance to the organization down here, the Community Trust of South, which covers a big chunk of the South Island. So I'm one of the trustees of that, and we, we hold um, $260 million for community benefit. Wow. So that's, that's my first 10 years in Invercargill, basically. I mean, it's again. This is it's just it's an amazing story because you know I wouldn't describe it as a midlife crisis. It's more like a road to Damascus moment where you go, you know, what, I, you know, I don't yeah. want to be an accountant anymore. I want to do so. But but everything that that you say and that you do there, Leon, it all comes back to this sense of connection. Could I ask oh. you what what your connection is to Ireland? Do you sometimes I look at things where I live in Sweden and I go, I'd love to see this happening in Ireland. Can you ever see yourself being able to say, look, lads, there's a few things we do here, and you really need to take them to Bali at the Ballybock and the Ballyharness. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, what's the connection between what I do? Well, like, I actually feel like, yeah, and I, I've got to know, like, the people at the Irish Embassy, and we 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 our first ambassador, ambassador to New Zealand, a chap called Peter Ryan, who got appointed three or four years ago. Yeah. And I actually, yeah, I, I do feel everything I do down here and everything... I am its direct result of my Irish heritage. You know, like mm. people would, you know, like I'm like, let's do a St. Patrick's thing. Very simple things. We make people welcome because that's what we do as 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 a race, as a society. Cadmiel of Fosha, we actually make people welcome. You know, you can you can you can have you can say it's an Irish pub or you can say it's this, but if you actually have a genuine welcome. For people, um, it makes a big difference. And I, and, and yeah, going back to your other point, like I heard that translates. Like I've been kind of, well, I was saying it was two thousand and four. I, I I headed over here, Philip. Um, and I think the passage of time, like you do feel like, is is my vision of Ireland slightly different to what it is now? Mm. It probably is, you know. Um, I was talking to somebody. Uh, I think it was like my sister there, and she was talking about. Do you remember, like the the, the institution have gone around for your communion money and your confirmation money? Mm. Yeah, she was like, people don't do that anymore, really. Yeah. I'm like, what? But that, that's like the most Irish thing ever. She's like, we don't do it. I'm like, what? You know. Oh, so you used to be a great money spinner back in the day as it well. It was, it was great. It was, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, you'd get around and you'd be like, yay, ching, ching. Um, so there is, yeah, things to change. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting one because people often ask me, you know, would you ever move back to Ireland? And I go, well, the Ireland I'd move back to is in sort of 1995, you know, when I had no kids and no responsibilities, yeah, no borders. Yeah, I yeah. didn't have to worry about anything but myself. Like, but that that's kind of gone. But at the same time, you know, you all like I always have this idea that, you know, if we could pick the best of the countries that we live in, like Sweden and New Zealand and the uh, UK and the US, uh, and so I send those things back home the way we used to send money home years ago, that we might have a, a, a great sort of, you know, we, we could learn from the experience experiences of Irish people abroad you know when you see yeah. yourself now Leon in in the future do you see yourself staying in Invercargill is that your community yeah I, think? yeah yeah I reckon that's that's it forever um yeah I honestly do um yeah here feels like home and it, it is interesting because you know like it did take a couple of years when I got here so I remember like when I was here about three or four years and I was working I was talking to somebody I'm like Ah, uh, yeah, I fly into Dublin, I look out and I go, oh, there is home. And and then when I fly into Auckland, I look out and I go, oh, here is home, you know, love it. Um, and at that stage, I wouldn't say the same for Invercargill because it was a bit of a slow burn as you established the connections with people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when I look out here, I can add that to the list and I go, oh, yeah, I'm home. Mm-hmm. So I actually think I'm incredibly lucky. There's three places in this world that I feel so intimately connected and a part of me you know like dublin where i spent the first 20 maybe 25 years of my life 
Auckland, where I met my wife, where two of my children was born, Invercargill, the last well, 10, 11 years of my life where my where my son is born. Um, we bought a house, which, you know, like my lad growing up in a flat. I never thought I'd like, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, like we've actually a nice, a nice house with dining room and stuff. And it costs like, like property prices like everywhere go up. But just as a frame of reference, we bought this house, like three bedroom, nice neighborhoods, nice section. Uh, we Like switching over to euro, we probably bought it for about like 120,000 euro. Jesus, like it sounds like pocket money at this stage when you hear what prices are going for in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so actually, we, we're very happy here, but we probably couldn't move anywhere else anyway. Yeah, exactly. so, you know. We're so because we can't afford to go anywhere else. Yeah, I'm actually going nowhere else. Yeah. Yeah, so, you, there's a lot of people listening to this who are involved in sort of, you know, they, they live in different communities in Boston and in Los Angeles and Sweden and oh, all yeah. these other places. Just as somebody who has made such great and strong connections to the people around them in a place like Invercargill on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. if you had one piece of advice to give people who want to get involved in their community, Leon, what would that be? Um. Yeah. D- to just do it. Don't think about doing it. Literally do it. I, you know, like as, as I mentioned, like when, when we were talking about doing the St. Patrick's Festival down here, I spoke to this at the Irish Society and they're like, people are not interested. There's no point. When I talked about doing TED Talks down here, people were like, nah, people wouldn't really be interested in that, you know? Mm. It's actually, if you have something you want to do, talk to somebody. But it was a mate in the pub, uh, you know, and just and just do it, you know. And so what? If, if it doesn't work and nobody turns up, like we've, we've done a few, of, you know, I've told you some events where we get hundreds and thousands of people and lots of people see our TED Talks. We've also done things where two people have turned up and they're going, what are you talking about? I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that isn't probably the interest. Fair enough. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, you, you, yeah, it's just simply a case of, Reaching out, connecting with people, uh, being honest in yourself and who, who you are, and say, "Hey, I want to do this." And uh, people like, I think people respect integrity. And uh, if you're just like, "I just want to," I literally want to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I like. I was like, I want to do a St. Patrick's event down here because I'm massively proud that I'm Irish, and I. And like, you know, I've no problem with, you know, like in Invercargill up to that point, it's like everybody goes to the pub in St. Patrick's Day. And yeah. I, like, I have no problem with that whatsoever, but I also have three kids and I want to say my, my Irish heritage. I want them to say my Irish heritage is more than, uh, I'm just popping out for a pint or five or 10 or 20, whatever your preference might be, you know? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, people respect, so just do it. Mm. Do it, reach out. I think, I think there's a thing there as well, that people respect people like yourself who have a bit of get up and go. And when they see that, then they become inspired by it. There's a great quote I sometimes hear in sport, you know, and it's it's only yeah. impossible until it's done. And that sounds an awful lot like your story down there. Leon Hart, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure talking to you. No it's doubt we'll check in pleasure. with you again. Round about to St. Patrick's Day next year, we'll check in with you again. Thanks very much for talking yeah. to me. Not a problem. <laughs> In New Zealand's amazing. I love New Zealand. Um, but it d- takes 24 hours, as you know, to get there from here. And that's a, that's a day of your life gone, just gone. It's insane. And the jet lag is monumental. So I landed in Auckland, New Zealand. And I thought, I've got to get onto the time zone as quickly as possible. So I pulled out the bezel of my watch. And I said to the stewardess, excuse me, what's the time difference here? I just want to get, get onto the new time difference, time zone. What's the time difference here? She went, it's 12 years ahead, the time difference in New Zealand. It's 12 years ahead. We're 12 years ahead of New Zealand. So I started to wind my watch. 12 hours. And I noticed my peripheral vision. She was looking at me like I was an idiot. I thought, what's her problem? She needs to jog on. I got about eight hours in and I realised, oh right, I'm going to land in exactly the same place that I started. So, So rather than look a fool, I wound it back. Thank you. I'll be fine from here. Thank you for your help. There you go. A little bit of Michael McIntyre there rounding off this week's Global Gale podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. As I said, the aim is to bring you these stories every week into your ears, all on the Arrowman in Stockholm feed. Remember that there will be a couple of other podcasts popping up there. If you want to listen, go ahead and listen. I'm not stopping you. In fact, I'd encourage it. The Irish and Sweden one is quite similar to this, but obviously that's a little bit more sort of local for the people who live here in Sweden. And of course, I live in Stockholm where it is. Get in touch. 
page, right? We have the At Global Gale podcast Instagram account. You'll find me, Philip O'Connor, on LinkedIn. You'll find me on Facebook. You'll find a podcast on Facebook. You'll find me everywhere, right? So if you want to get in touch, if you want to sponsor the show, if you want to give feedback, if you want a shout out for your business, if you think there's, there's something that I should know about that I should feature on the show, please do get in touch because uh, I want to make something that you want to listen to every week, something that appeals to you. So we've been fairly around the world now. We've been to Las Vegas and we've been to London and we've been to Australia and New Zealand and we've been to the Middle East. Uh, I do have somebody in mind for Africa, but if you're doing anything anywhere in Africa at all, feel free to get in touch. If you're in Russia, if you're in Qatar, if you're in South America in particular, they're the kind of places I'd be interested in talking to people about in the near future. But yeah, listen, I'll let you go for this week. I hope the dog enjoyed the walk. I hope you enjoyed whatever it was you were doing when you were listening to it. I'll be back again the next week or 10 days or so with another episode of the Global Gale podcast. Look after yourselves, look after one another, and I'll talk to you all again soon.